I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Seth, how's it going? Great. How are you, Jonathan? I'm doing all right. I'm having a little bit of... Not a not worries, but just can't believe that we're actually getting pretty close to Lent. Lent is just a few weeks away. The next time I'm the non-expert will be the for the first Sunday of Lent. It's just a couple weeks. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is going too fast. I know. And it was last Lent that all this started, too. Pandemic stuff. So we're approaching a year. I'm here near Richmond, and we had a lot of snow this morning. It's a weird time. (laughs) But you know what it's never too weird for? A certain question. I'm ready. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be like the Proclaimers and walk 500 (laughs) miles or run 50 miles? I think I would want to walk 500 it's hard for me not to choose that one, honestly, just because of the song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, I mean, the song, I could sing that song the whole time. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I feel more confident in my ability to walk than run for any sure. <laughs> any real distance. My thing is, like, I'm not in, I've never been in running 50 miles shape. But my thought is, even if I ran a 20-minute mile which is real slow. I could still finish in like, oh gosh, I didn't do the math in advance. But like, <laughs> theoretically, I could finish in a day or two. Five, walking 500 miles? <laughs> My gosh, it would just take so long. I think for that reason, I would run 50 miles, but sing 500 miles I'm going to be by the Proclaimers the entire time, because that will certainly keep me motivated. Oh, yeah, that's a good song. Same with A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> that was our room Excellent. theme song. Our, that's right. I think we've talked about that before. Our junior year of college. We clearly love this song because we brought it up multiple times <laughs> in the history of our podcast. That's and true. And honestly, I don't blame us. There was one time our pastor referenced that when we were starting a worship service. And... I was tasked with just doing something for an instrumental later in the service, and I played a dramatic instrumental version (laughs) of 500 Miles, or I'm going to be. And once he realized it, he started laughing and then grabbed grabbed his flute and started playing along. (laughs) It was pretty powerful. I would say the spirit was moving. Oh, definitely. I don't know which spirit, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We've 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 covered five hundred miles in and fifty miles. 
so far. Yeah, I think we've covered 550 miles just in this question. So why don't we go ahead and transition to the scripture? Will you go ahead and read it for us? Sure. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 31 from the Common English Bible. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Wasn't it announced to you from the beginning? Haven't you understood since the earth was founded? God inhabits the earth's horizons. Its inhabitants are like locusts, stretches out the skies like a curtain, and spreads it out like a tent for dwelling. God makes dignitaries useless, and the earth's judges into nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely is their shoot rooted in the earth. When God breathes on them, and they dry up, the windstorm carries them off like straw. So to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Look up at the sky and consider who created these. The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name. Because of God's great strength and mighty power, not one is missing. Why do you say Jacob and declare Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my God ignores my predicament? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not grow weary. Hmm. So we'll start with, why did you choose the Common English Bible for us this week? Yeah, as I started exploring this text, recognizing that compared with other parts of Isaiah, this is actually more like a psalm or a song than, yeah. than other pieces. One is something that focused on making this beautiful language as beautiful as possible. And I think the CEB really renders it in just a lovely way and i think you read it in such a lovely way too and as you were reading it what were some of the things that stood out to you the first is how beautiful this is this is a beautiful passage man just some of the some of the imagery is just it's beautiful i love god inhabits the earth its inhabitants are like locusts and God stretches out the sky like a curtain and spreads it out like a tent for dwelling. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah that verse is really powerful. Wow. Oh, I'm like, I got like caught up in reading it. Like this to me is like biblical texts at their best. Like, yeah, I agree. When I think some of the context of this passage helps even strengthen that reading too, okay. knowing where this is coming from. So when we visited Isaiah before, we've talked about this, that Isaiah is in three parts. This passage is the very beginning of 2nd Isaiah, which brings modern readers back to right around when Israel was in exile, either mm-hmm. right on the verge of it or as they're going into it. And as we've also discussed before, the exile, not only the removal from Israel's homeland, but the destruction of all that they held dear, their places of worship, 
their places of gathering. So many things about their culture were compromised or destroyed. It's, it's just this unimaginable devastation and trauma. And these are the words that God gives the prophet Isaiah to offer <laughs> in the midst of that devastation. I think that's just so striking to me. And I wanted to revisit what you were bringing up, Seth. Really wanted I, what I wanted to focus on were some of these images and hear more about what images really stood out to you. And so you, you mentioned one of my favorites too, that, that God stretches out the skies like a curtain and spreads it out like a tent for dwelling. It's both so majestic and so simple, if that makes sense. Like God takes the expanse of all that we know and all that we see and takes a nap under it or rests under it for the evening. You know, yeah. it's, the, yeah. it's, this, <laughs> this, it's this contrast, this paradox that's just so striking. And I love, I love that kind of language. But is there anything that I shared that makes you think about this a little differently or makes any images resonate with you a little more? The very next line about God making dignitaries useless and they're not planted and they're not sown. And God breathes on them and then they blow away in the wind. That strikes me as being particularly powerful when you're under foreign occupation or in exile. Like those words are particularly encouraging, I guess, given their circumstances. I also, and maybe you know a little more about this, the very last line I guess the last two lines are interesting to me, that youths become tired and young men will stumble, but people who hope in the Lord renew their strength. I mean, it's a beautiful image, right? It's like, you know, certainly like even even young men get tired in contrast to God, but people who whose hope is ultimately in the Lord don't. I get, like I'm just thinking about that more as like a type of encouragement in exile, I guess. Yeah, I think it connects really powerfully too to the previous few lines, where it talks about God's understanding being beyond human reach. That understanding that gives power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, what comparison do we have? What is the most inexhaustible form of human energy? Well, it's, I guess it's young guys, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little weird to say like that, but <laughs> that's that feels to be what's coming through here in this in this setting. You know, what can you imagine? You know, if it's a young child playing, or a young laborer who is able to work long hours in the fields or wherever their craft takes them. You know, it's a understanding that revives equips rest hmm. that endures hmm. much longer than anything we can imagine and to back up just a little bit there's a there's a little bit of a connection and a theme through here that I think is summed up in verse 25 where God asks the Holy One asks who is my equal hmm. Hmm. and I wonder how that question would resonate with the people who worship this God as they watch the Babylonians come through their streets, ransack their homes, their temple, which is the place that they believed God dwelt among them. Hmm. And there's part of me that wonders about that question. 
And as powerful and as meaningful as this scripture has meant to me for a long period of time, there's also part of my response that makes me feel like maybe this passage isn't for me because my people have been the ones coming in the streets, occupying cities, ransacking places Mm -hmm. of life and community and worship for the sake of national interest. And my affiliation with power makes me look at look at this passage a little differently. And at the same time, I connect so deeply with the image of a God who binds up the brokenhearted, lifts up those who have stumbled and have fallen, and renews their strength. Hmm. Hmm. I think I'm wrestling with it a little more than I have before. Uh, there are a number of beautiful songs that come to mind, including one by parents of a friend of mine from elementary school named Rob and Wendy Jacobson, who wrote a number of songs that were truly uh, scripture set to music, and they sang a beautiful one based on this passage. Hmm. And so to have a story that's meant so much to me and a challenge in that way, I don't know, that's been kind of the primary focus of my, my reading of this so far. Thanks for sharing that. See, didn't, I hadn't thought of it as like, this isn't for me, especially when it, when it referenced youths and young men as like the ultimate in energy, right? Like the most energetic and maybe powerful thing that the writer can conjure at the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, you know, like I'm, I'm relatively young. I don't think I'm not real physically powerful. And I don't know, I'm getting pretty tired these days. Too. <laughs> <laughs> True. I wondered if the question of whom will you compare me and who is my equal, like, is particularly powerful in reference to young men. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Like. Yeah. It certainly challenges us, right? Yeah. I think as people of faith, we can claim comfort in the scriptures of our faith. I, I don't think that's inappropriate. But I also think it's inappropriate to completely forget the social setting, the lenses that we bring to the text, and ignore the types of dynamics between people groups that are at play throughout our scriptures and pretend that there's no parallels with Mm -hmm. how we affiliate today. So for me, this text is both comforting and it's an exercise in empathy. It requires me to step into a place where I'm imagining how this could be received. I know Mm -hmm. how I've received it at different points in my life, but there's a depth to this that I don't know is quite as accessible to me based on my, my lived experience. And I guess my, my question to transition a little bit more, I think we've been kind of on the edge of a transition into a conversation about what the point is in a period of such devastation. I wonder how comforting this language would have been this language of either future assurance or kind of articulating an alternative reality to the lived experience while that lived experience is so devastating. I wonder how that would have resonated. You know, these rhetorical questions of, do you not know, have you not heard to the person wailing over the loss of their home or a family member saying God is the everlasting God 
might feel incredibly hollow, if not harmful, in situations of the deepest human pain and suffering. I guess my question becomes, do you think these these types of sayings, this type of language, kind of these assurances of future hope, how helpful do you think they are in the midst of real devastation? Come on, Seth. Okay, ask me all the hard questions. I feel like that's what we're about. Yeah, true. No, that is. Maybe I can help by putting it in some modern language. Okay, let's do that. So you are, you're pastoring a local church. Congratulations. And post-pandemic times, a family comes to you, two parents come grieving the loss of their child for whatever reason, tragic loss or illness or something along those lines. And as they're sharing with you, with this loss fresh on their minds, painfully heavy on their hearts, do these words of future hope come to you right away? Do you ask rhetorical questions of, (laughs) wait, haven't you heard? Do you not get it? God is in charge. Or does your approach take a little bit different of an angle? Yeah, and this this was my gut too. I just think like this is not particularly helpful in the face of like intense pain. Or like at funerals when people tell you that like, oh, they're in a better place. Like you'll see them one day, right? Is yeah. like to put something eschatological on the on the present pain, to put an eschatological twist on it, I guess. Yeah. I just wonder if this is if maybe what's different i don't know i'm just thinking out loud here it's like this isn't just eschatological right there's also something in it about what who god is in the present right like i wonder if that makes it more receivable but sure i think and i think where we get into trouble is where we where we take things that are comforting to us. Like, I think this passage can be truly comforting to people of faith in troubling times, to speak very generally. But when you take something that's comforting to you and kind of superimpose it or use it to gloss over someone else's harm, you're using something that comforts your true discomfort to kind of gloss over some other discomfort that you're feeling, Hmm. that you're Mm -hmm. not... You're yeah. not comfortable you're not... in someone else's discomfort. And so you're like, I know. And you just rush this message of hope and future assurance in to a place with wounds that are still fresh and bleeding. And you just try to throw all the band-aids on it that you can. Mm-hmm. Whether that comes in even beautiful scripture passages like this or in some of those other cliches that you mentioned that we... we can't help ourselves but say in times of tragedy it almost feels disingenuous like you're not really paying attention yeah and again this passage can be incredibly comforting to those who are ready to receive this kind of comfort but i also think it takes some takes some special attention to see if people are actually ready for this kind of comfort 
we see in the example of Jesus, the power of being present with folks who aren't ready. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I wish we knew more about Isaiah, like what, how this message was delivered. I know. There is, there is one piece of this, though, Seth, that I actually find really comforting, regardless. And honestly, one of the things that gives me quite a bit of hope, even in my current reading, it comes right at the end. We've mentioned it already. The youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble. But those mm. who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. People who are ready to fly, ready to run, and ready to walk sound like they're in pretty different places. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And the fact that this God who sleeps under the skies like a tent, who brings dignitaries and the earth judges to their knees because of God's power, the God who created all the things that we see in the sky, that God is ready to give us the comfort that we need in the space where we are. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I don't know, that that striking, I, I'm assuming there's something poetic there about the soaring on wings like eagles and running and walking. But again, those are very different types of actions. And the fact that God's comfort is so deep and so far-reaching to meet us in any of those places. That's something that I think actually gives me a level of comfort that's deeper than I felt from this passage before. It's been a really yeah. interesting yeah. week <laughs> engaging this <laughs> engaging this story. But hmm. I'm just thinking that's to give comfort to those who are walking or running, right, or flying in these kind of different situations. Yeah. If that isn't understanding and love and mercy, that's beyond human reach. Like our pastor sure sounds like it to me. <sighs> me too, man. Hmm. What do you need comfort for right now? Oh. I mean, this is this was wishful thinking on my part. I hoped that post-election just some of the political turmoil would lessen not vanish but kind of murmur in the background rather than scream but i haven't seen that it's still it's still screaming just as loud i think right yeah the the twitter bands haven't stopped the screaming yeah um, it's like it's like that makes me weary. How about you? I think recently again, and this has definitely come in waves over the last several months, but have been feeling the loss of not the loss of relationships necessarily, but the loss of connection in those relationships. Uh, just missing folks, missing my family, and. Missing, even missing coworkers and students who I work with regularly, but oftentimes only see on a screen. Mm-hmm. Just really longing for that, the type of connection to see others and be seen by others, to understand others, and be understood, to love and be loved, like we 
here from St. Francis's prayer. Mm-hmm. Right now, I feel pretty comfortable thinking that God's kindness and mercy and love can help with that. I don't know that it's every day that I feel that way, but <laughs> right now in this moment, yeah, I think so. What do you think? Can I pray for us? I think that's the only place we can go from here. Yeah. Okay. Let's pray. Everlasting God, we are tired and weary. We have stumbled and fallen. Help us, we pray, to fly, to run, or even just to walk. To take our next faithful steps in you by the strength of your spirit. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who sees us even when we're not ready to be seen, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're talking about Mark 9, verses 2 through 10. It's the story of the transfiguration. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that passage, Jonathan. Thanks for soaring through it with me on Eagle's Wings, Seth.